Morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good. It's good. You sound like you're all sleeping. Anyway, let me pray for us and we'll, uh, we'll get rolling here. Father, we love you and we thank you. And we praise you, God, that in your infinite love and infinite wisdom and that agape-ness that you just decided to love us, that you gave your son as a sacrifice for us so that we may dwell with you one day. And so, God, as we talk this morning about what it looks like for us as believers uh, to love and what that means for us to love you, to love others, to love our enemies, we pray that you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say. For these are your words, God. I thank you for just this morning and the opportunity we have to worship, and we just commit this morning to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I love when we were worshiping there a couple minutes ago. I'm Pastor Jamie, by the way. If, if you're new here, we're welcome. We're glad that you're here. Um, and I'm, I'm honored to be preaching to you this morning. And what we're talking about today is love. And as I was starting to say, as we were worshiping earlier, there were some scripture verses that came up on the screen behind the band that hopefully you caught. And one of those uh, was 1 John 4.19. And it says, we love because he first loved us. And it's, it's such a true statement that as Christians, as people that, that follow God, we love God, we love Jesus. The reason why we love, the reason why we're called to love is because Jesus first loved us. We're all broken, we're all messed up, we're all shattered images of God. We were supposed to look like God, that was broken by sin. And, and, and regardless of that, God still loved us. And, and he offered his son as a sacrifice so that we could be fixed. And so we love because we're told to, be, to love, and we love because we were first loved. But the culture we live in today, the word love has been transformed into this like very watered-down, uh, embarrassing term that we have used as a weapon. Men wield it as a pickup line. Ladies, don't buy it. Love is, it used to be this word of potency. It's such a potent word that in the Greek language, there's like a bajillion words to describe love. It's not good enough just to say love. There's certain types of love. A guy named C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, and he specifically covers uh, four dynamic loves uh, that we as people, we experience. He, he talks about uh, the first love, which is called phileo, which is like a brotherly love. And you see that word in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. You've got eros, which is an erotic love, which married people, come on, that's a good love, right? And then you've got storge, which is kind of like this affectionate love that friendship can share. It's a good thing. And then you have what's called agape love, which is this unconditional love that a parent will have for the child. And really the only person that can agape love the way that agape love really is meant is God. It is this all-giving, all-sacrificing agape love. So love... Is, a, is an important word. And shame on us for what we've allowed this word to become. You know, I look at Robbie and Michelle. They're, they're getting ready to get married. I just did a wedding last week for a youth group couple, uh, who the, the Santoro couple, they were here earlier, Joseph and Nora. Joseph and Nora dated since they were like two years old. They, they, they were middle school sweethearts. They were high school sweethearts. And, and one of the things I love that they told me is they did not use the word love until they were like ready to get married because that word meant something. It was, it was potent. And Robbie and Michelle, you guys didn't rush into this. They, they, they understand that when you get married, when you form that covenant of love, that, that this is a serious bond. 
You know, a lot of times in our culture, we think of love as this like emotional, fluttery feeling that we get when we get butterflies in our stomach. But the reality of it is love is something so much more significant than just a word. It's so much more significant than a pickup line that guys use. It's so much more significant than I love Cheetos. That's not love. I would love for the Steelers to win the Super Bowl. That's not love. That's just simply a desire that I'm watering down a word to fit it. The word awesome is another word that we've watered down and made into something it's not. So we've got all these different scriptures that tell us what love is. But Paul writes to us in 1 Corinthians something that is, that is just very powerful that I want to read to you. Because when you think about what we're commanded to do by God, we're commanded two things. What are they? Youth group people, help me out. You know the answer to this. We are commanded to love God and that is the simplistic, that is it. That is what we are supposed to do as Christians. It's that easy. We, and that's easy, right? We're called to love God, and we're called to love others. The way that we love God is, guess how? I say it all the time. By loving others. We're called to love God. We're called to love others. The Bible goes, goes as far as to say that love is the most significant part of who we are. And if you don't believe me, I'm just going to read it to you. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says this. When it talks about different gifts and, and different things, like Brad Labaca can wail when he sings, right? Like, I would love to have that. But if he's, if he's doing that without love in his heart, he just sounds like a dying dog to God. Does that make sense? Let me read this to you. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move a mountain, but I have not love, I am nothing. Think about that statement. If I have the faith in God that can move a mountain, but I'm not loving people at it, I'm nothing. Do you think God takes love serious? Because we're called to have faith in God. And the only thing that really trumps that faith is we've got to do it with an attitude of love. Listen to me, people. Love is not simply just this fluttery emotion. It is a discipline. Married people, you know what I'm talking about. Because you love your spouse. But there are certain days where you would love to fire your spouse down a flight of steps because they're driving you nuts, right? And in those moments... And we're laughing and we're joking, but there's some serious moments that'll happen in our marriages. In those moments, we sometimes, that fluttery feeling of love isn't there. Amen? Right? In that moment is when we have to make a conscious decision that as mad as this person is making me and as frustrated as I am in this moment, I committed to God that I'm going to love this person and I'm going to make a conscious decision to love this person. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you, that is love. Love is not always easy. It's not always fun. And like on The Bachelorette, love is hard. Love is something that we are supposed to be as believers, and it doesn't stop with our families. It doesn't stop with God. It pours into our enemies. We're to love our enemies. Love is serious to the point where God says, you can have the faith that will move a mountain in me, but if you're not loving people, you're totally missing the point. That's a pretty big deal. We find ourselves in Romans this morning. 
talking about three key areas of love. We're going to talk about what it looks like to be devoted, what it looks like for us to honor one another, and what it looks like for us to be in harmony with one another. And the only way that we can really do that is if we're genuinely loving one another. And I want to give you a little background to where we're at in the book of Romans. Think about this. You're in a Roman culture. This is a Roman society where Paul wrote the book of Romans to a, to a church that he actually didn't start this church that was taking place in Rome. It consisted of Gentile Christians, Christians that weren't Jews, and it consisted of Jewish Christians. And so what happened was in Rome, there was like this attitude thing going on between the Gentiles and the Jewish Christians. The Jewish Christians thought that they were superior to the Gentile Christians, and so there was like this animosity that was dwelling. Not to mention that they had the whole Roman Empire who basically wanted to kill them because they didn't believe what they believed. They didn't like them. They thought they were a plague on their city. And so not only did they have forces on the outside of the church fighting them, they were fighting from within the body. And so Paul writes this letter, and he's like, look, folks, you've got to get it together. And that's where we find ourselves in Romans 13. Uh, excuse me, 12, 9. <laughs> a lot of scripture up here today. It says this in Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. And that is like four words that I think we miss as Christians that we can't afford to miss. We have to love from a place of sincerity. If you are the best actor in the world and you come to church or you go out and you're serving or you're doing stuff and you're simply pretending to love people, the only person you're really fooling is yourself. Other people may say, oh, look how great he is. If God knows that sincerity is so important. You have to have a sincere heart. Your love must be sincere. It goes on to say, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. That just makes sense. Did you know that in history, history was set up uh, from the beginning to be this very selfish thing. Cultures and societies that, that have come and gone in history, really until the time of Jesus, it was all about one thing. It was about the preservation of self and the furthering of whatever kingdom you are. It was never about anybody else. It wasn't about helping other people. In fact, it wasn't until the, till the, that Judeo-Christian, until Christ came around, that people actually began to look at other people and say, they have value to me. Not as a slave, not because of what they can bring me, but just simply because we as people are to love one another. And I laugh because we have all these things in society today that they'll claim they don't believe in God, um, but they're humanitarian groups. But what you're telling me is, is that you want to believe in a certain part of God, but you don't want to believe in God, because the reality of it is, if you care about anybody, you're buying into a Christian worldview. If not, the time of the Vikings should be now. Because without Christ, why would you not want to do for you? Amen? It just makes sense. But Jesus teaches us something different. He teaches us that we're to love, that love is to be sincere, that we are to hate evil, and evil is selfishness, evil is sin, and we are to cling to what is good. He goes on to say, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There's that word Philadelphia, phileo, which means brotherly love. And the way that that word Philadelphia is written in the original language, it actually says you are to look at others better than yourself. 
As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to have a brotherly and a sisterly love with one another. Do you get that? We're to be devoted to one another. I am so sick of this phone call that I keep getting. I had it three times this past year. I'm I'm on vacation last week and I get a phone call from a a friend back here. and Her name's Abby and she says, Jamie, my, my brother was just diagnosed with a brain tumor. He's a high school kid with a brain tumor. And so that, that weight was heavy, and I'm thinking, oh, great, I'm, 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 in, I'm in the outer banks. What am I, I got to reach out to this kid. And what I love about this devotion that we're supposed to have to one another is when we see it. There's a lady by the name of Carla Batch. She, she reached out to me. She said, would you mind if I just took a handful of people over and prayed on their lawn? And I'm thinking, that's awesome. That's what love is. That's what the church is supposed to be. So I'm thinking like 10, 15 people are going to show up over at the Doyle's home. Andrew Doyle is the young man that's sick. And... and, and and 70 people from Christ Church are on this family's lawn praying over this kid. That is the way that we're to love one another. We're to be devoted to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. When, when the good times come, we're to be there for each other. When the bad times come, we're to be there for each other. I was so proud of you, Christ Church, when I saw the picture of a bajillion people, really it was 70, 70 people on this lawn praying for Andrew. The good news is the, the tumor was benign and the doctors got everything fixed up and Andrew's actually at home today. You can praise God for that. That's good news. But the point is, is, is we as a family, we're devoted to one another and when we are devoted to one another and that brotherly love that, that God commanded us to, God is delighting in that. We are commanded by God to be devoted to one another in, in sincere love. It continues on by saying, Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. We are called to be devoted to God by being devoted to each other. We are called to honor God by honoring one another. And I'm not talking about giving trophies and awards. I'm talking about like our urban impact missionaries who have moved from the places that they lived in and they literally moved into the north side of Pittsburgh so that when they're ministering to someone, they're not just simply ministering at somebody, they're ministering with somebody. We are called as believers to walk beside each other. We are called, the richest of us is called to hang out with the poorest of us. The the most well-fed of us is called to be with the, the hungriest of us. We are called as a people of God to not look at ourselves as better than one another, but equals. You are my brother in Christ, and I'm going to be devoted to helping you grow in Christ, and I will honor you by loving you the same as I will love this guy. As Christians, we're not called to show favoritism. Our society is, is very counter to that. We're called to be devoted to God by being devoted to one another. We're called to honor God by being honoring to one another. And we're also called to live in harmony. Now, this is the one that, that we have the hardest time with. I went and saw the movie The Wolverine. Quick little spoiler alert. The good guys win, the bad guys lose. Okay? But that's what we love. And I'm going to tell you right now, as American Christians, we love seeing the bad guy get his. Amen? We love that. But the reality of what Scripture's telling us here is it's not our job 
to avenge ourselves. It's not our job to right the, the injustices that people do to us. It's our job to love our enemies. That's hard. I think of the, the historical account of a man by the name of Oscar Schindler. Some of you guys have seen Schindler's List. Oscar Schindler was this man, he, he kind of belonged to the Nazi party, he just did it because that's what everybody was doing. The reality of it was, is Oscar Schindler didn't care about the Nazis, and he didn't care about the Jews either. What he cared about was making money. And during the time period in Germany that he was living in, he saw an opportunity where he could get free labor from the government. And he wanted to make a lot of money. He saw that we were getting ready to head into war. And he thought, I can make munitions. I can make pots and pans. I can do all kinds of stuff and make a killing uh, right now with free labor. And so as a capitalist as it can be, he created a company and he had all these Jewish uh, people that were getting ready to experience the Holocaust working for him. And, And one might say to the Jew, Oscar was the enemy. Would you agree with that? And not any one of us would have, would have blamed the Jewish people when we think about what was about to happen as, as people, and for the sake of the little ears, I'm going to just speak around it here. When the Holocaust and people were beginning to be extinguished, you know, we couldn't blame the Jewish people for wanting to kill their enemy. Let's be honest, in our human nature. But there was a group of about 500 Jews that decided they weren't going to attack Schindler that what they were going to do is they were going to serve him, that they were going to do what God's commandment told them, that they were going to love on him, and they poured out love on this guy. Now, the Bible says, and this is one of the things I think we as as Christians love to hear, that if we are kind to our enemies, we will heap burning coals on their head. Yeah, that'll get them. And, And it's like we think that we're actually loving our enemy, but by loving our enemy, we're actually getting even with our enemy because by getting even with them, God will be twice as hard on them. And, and the motive behind us actually loving our enemy isn't loving at all. It's actually more hateful. Than, ooh, you get what I'm saying? And so what happens is, that's not what that Bible passage is actually saying at all. What it's saying is, as believers, we're called to love our enemy in such a way that they turn from their evil ways because of their embarrassment of how they treated us, like Schindler. Because Oscar Schindler, the way that these Jews poured out the devotion and love to this guy, it was weird if you've seen the movie, you're like, why are they doing this? His heart turns, his heart changes, and he actually becomes this guy that instead of helping the Nazi party, he builds faulty munitions, he starts spying on the party, he then begins to sell everything that he has, and he begins to purchase more Jewish slaves to the point where there's 1,500 Jewish families that exist today because they were kind to their enemy. Their enemy was Schindler. Their their love and devotion changed his heart. And I'm here to tell you, God has a perfect plan for each and every one of us. And that is really hard to let go of sometimes. It's really hard to trust God when it looks like the entire world around us is being extinguished, right? But I'm going to tell you, God has a purpose, and he has a plan for your enemies. He has a purpose and a plan for that that anger that you have going on right now, and he wants you to deal with it because we're called to be devoted to one another. We're called to be devoted to God by loving one another. We're called to honor one another, to to associate with one another, to, to just be there for one another, and we're called to love our enemies. Not so that we can get them a better judgment day by heaping burning coals on their head, so that we can heap burning coals on their head 
and they can see the errors of their way and repent. God's plan is perfect. Does that make sense to you guys? That was a hard one for me because I used to love throwing rocks at my, my enemies. Take that, that's hot rock. That's not what God wants us to be. God wants us to be a devoted people, sold out for him. The Bible tells us that people will know who we are by the way that we love one another. People will know who we are by the way that we treat our neighbor. Is there a, is there a fatherless kid in your neighborhood? And you're a dad or you're a guy? Step up and get involved in his life. Is there somebody who, who's hungry? Is there somebody in this church who maybe can't pay their bills? I'm going to tell you right now, the last thing that we should have to do as a people is turn to some government program to ask for assistance because we as the church should be taking care of one another. Please clap for that. We should be taking care of our neighbor. Every single one of you has a neighbor that you are called to love, regardless of how crazy they are, regardless of they're letting their lawn grow over into yours, regardless of whatever's going on in your neighborhood. You have a responsibility and a duty to Christ to love your neighbor, to pour out love. You have a duty and a responsibility to love people sitting across the pew from you who maybe worship in a different worship style, who maybe are in a different denomination than you. Do you know what was amazing uh, about the Christians of this day and and this writing? This writing is so important because Paul was saying to the Gentiles and the Jews, he's saying, you guys have to love one another and you have to love your enemies. Do you know what happens to the Jews in Rome, in the Roman Empire? I'm going to say it this way because of little ears. But there's a guy named Nero who comes into power. And Nero, as lanterns for his dinner parties, would use Christians. There was a terrible persecution of Christians going on in the Roman Empire. And at one point, something happens and the city burns. Mass chaos. Mass destruction. Mass casualties. The government flees. The military is commanded to leave. Do you know who stays? And takes care of the people who are burnt, the people who are sick, the people who were left to be dead. Do you know who does that? The Christians. There's a reason why the origins of the, of the, the, the institutionalized church comes from Rome. That's why the Catholic Church is still based there today. Because what happened with this group of Christians, the way that they loved their enemies, in spite of the fact that they would throw them to the lion's den and use them as torches, those Christians poured out love on their enemies in such a way that it forever changed Rome to the point that it's still the center of the Catholic Church today. That is a mighty, mighty impact. Because people were devoted to loving God and loving others. They were going to be devoted to one another. They were going to be devoted to their enemies. They were going to honor one another. They were going to honor their enemies. And they were determined to live in harmony and to live in peace with one another. Not because necessarily it's what they wanted to do, but because it was what they were commanded to by God. And when you begin to live for God, those things that you're commanded to do by God, they become the things you want to do. Isn't that cool? My prayer for us as a church is that we can be a church that demonstrates love for the people it's easy to love. That we can be a church that demonstrates love for the people that are hard to love and for our enemies. We've got to start by loving each other that way. Amen?
Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. We praise you that you are a God who, man, I'm just thankful. We are so short with one another, Lord. When someone offends us or, or upsets us, we fly off the handle and get angry. But God, we think about the way that we have treated you in our lives. And I'm thankful that you're an unfair God. I thank you that you don't punish us the way that we deserve. But you're a gracious God who loves us and sent your son to die for us. You first demonstrated this kind of love to us, God. And we praise you for that. We thank you for Jesus on the cross, that he rose from the dead. And I pray now that you would help us to have the faith, the courage, the strength, the love that we need to have to make an impact on this world like the Roman church did, God. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.